Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I'm super excited to be speaking with Lisa Braithwaite about virtual training. Lisa is a certified virtual presenter, public speaking coach, trainer, and author of the popular book, Presenting for Humans, Insights for Speakers on Ditching Perfection and Creating Connection. Lisa also mentors entrepreneurs and professionals to create memorable and engaging presentations and has provided training to a wide array of companies, including Microsoft. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Lisa. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. With many lawyers providing online training for the first time, whether client webinars, conference presentations, or facilitated sessions, often from their homes, I thought a good topic to start our discussion would be the main differences between in-person and virtual training. And I'm primarily wondering, do we have to ditch everything we know about uh, on uh, in-person training when we go virtual? Are there any transferable skills? I would say that most of what you do in uh, an in-person presentation is directly translatable into virtual. We still need to engage our audience we still need to serve the audience and make sure that we're delivering a great experience. So for me, those are really the key aspects of all kinds of presenting. But when you transfer your live presentation into virtual, there are a couple of considerations that you need to think about. Um, first of all, there's tech, right? We, you know, we've all experienced tech difficulties and tech complications and your technology prep for virtual presentations is going to be different. So for example, when we're presenting live, we're generally not concerned about fixing the lighting or having a good microphone or any of those kinds of things because if we're presenting, for example, at a conference, there's an AV team who does that for us. Right. But when we're sitting at our computer, in our office at home, now we have to actually pay attention to the lighting and the camera and the microphone and whether or not you're going to use a green screen and that kind of thing. So the technology prep is different. And um, we, if we're going to use visuals, the visuals needs to, need to move more quickly. We need to keep the audience more engaged. So if you thought it was bad that people were on their phones during your live presentations, because this has been a problem too. This has been a problem for a long time. People still get on their phones during live presentations. But now, of course, they're on Facebook and they're checking email and they're doing a million other things. So our level of emotional engagement has to really be increased and so if you're using visuals, this is when, if you're not using, using visuals, visuals are a way, first of all, to increase that emotional engagement, but everything needs to move quicker. We need to keep the, the audience really um, with us and not getting distracted by other things that are going on in their, in their environment. And then, um, and then we also need to be a little bit more creative with our engagement because it is so much easier for people to tune out 
it's easier for people to just turn off their camera and mic and go do something else. People are folding laundry, they're doing dishes, they're cooking dinner. I mean, <laughs> these are all things that are happening as you present. So we really need to keep people engaged, for example, by asking them to keep their cameras on, uh, for example, by giving them something to do regularly, like type something into the chat or raise their hand on camera or, or things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And are those um, suggestions, uh, do they apply across the board, regardless of the type of virtual uh, session you're running? Like I'm thinking about sometimes where we've got a webinar where we've done those before and there is no live sort of visual connection with the audience um, versus when you're doing a training session where you're facilitating discussions with, uh, with groups of people. Same considerations? It just depends what your goals are for presenting. The webinar the webinar style presentation is still around. It's it's what we all used to do back in the day when we started being able to actually add visuals to our audio <laughs> presentations. I don't know how many people on the call remember doing um, teleseminars back okay. in the day when we would we would all get on a phone and we would actually listen to presentations on the phone, and then suddenly we were able to put those things online and we could we could add slides and our voice. I personally think that unless you have a really large audience that makes interaction impractical or difficult, I would stick with the meeting style of presentation. But if you're gonna use the meeting style of presentation where people have their cameras on and the ability to mute and unmute, and, and all of those things, then it's important to use a producer. So to have somebody who's running the tech for you mm-hmm. and can manage things like the questions and can, can manage things like polls and manage things like breakout rooms, the webinar style is much easier. I will say that because you literally are just talking either with your talking head or with slides or with both. And you don't have to worry about whether anybody's going to be on camera, if they're gonna unmute yourself, uh, unmute themselves and distract you. But the less interaction and engagement you have, the less potential there is for learning and retention of your information. So it just really depends. If you're giving something that's more of a straight report, for example, then maybe the webinar the webinar variation is the best option for you but if you really want people to learn something and retain information and especially if you really want people to go and take action on your presentation then i would incorporate uh, as much interaction and engagement as you can Okay, and so you mentioned uh, polls as one way to engage or to interact with the audience. <laughs> Are those difficult to set up, or how can you maybe talk a little bit more about the sort of the logistics of polls? It depends again what platform you're using. I am really familiar with Zoom. I've been using Zoom for quite a few years now. 
and uh, and Zoom keeps getting more technically advanced. <laughs> so there were there are a lot of things that you can do on Zoom now that you couldn't use when I started using it maybe five years ago, four years ago. Um, but and I'm not so I can't really speak to other platforms like Teams or WebEx or other platforms. Okay. On Zoom, I find polls pretty easy to use. They're pretty self-explanatory when you set up a presentation, when you create your Zoom link with all the details about your presentation, there's a place in that, um, in the dashboard to set up a poll. And it's really a matter of typing in what the title of your poll is, what the question is, and what your selected answers are. And then you save it. And then when you're, when you're delivering your presentation, the polls option is right there on your Zoom screen and you can just pull it up and select which poll you want. I think polls are easy. And I also, just another word or two about polls here. Polls for me are a perfect example of a very quick engagement activity that gets people involved, but that doesn't have to take very long. And so I even recommend using polls to my clients who I'm teaching micro presentations to. I have a lot of people delivering presentations these days in five minutes or less mm -hmm. because that's what's happening with these so much remote speaking. And you can deliver a poll so quickly by just keeping it moving. And as I mentioned before, engagement activities really can be very quick, um, quick moving. And so a poll, you can open the poll, you can, I kind of talk through the poll like I'm an auctioneer. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, here are the here's the question. Here are your three answers. If for some reason you can't see the poll, write your answer in the chat. Okay, I see answers are coming in. All right, you know, number two, whatever number two is, is pulling out ahead with 14%. Okay, we have about 16% of the people have finished the poll. So get in there and do the poll. Okay, and, and I kind of have this patter, this auctioneer patter. And then you start seeing the answers start to slow down. A colleague of mine uh, refers to this as the popcorn effect <laughs> that, you know, the popcorn starts slowing down in the pan. And right. for me, that tends to be at about the minute mark. And then I say, okay, you know, we have 75% and I'm going to close the poll. And then you put the poll up and you show the answers. And here's a really, here's a really great benefit of a poll besides the fact that it gets people engaged and paying attention. A poll gives you information about your participants. So I don't use polls for entertainment purposes, although you can, I like to use, um, you know, two answers that are serious and then the third answer that's kind of silly or a twist <laughs> just for, you know, some humor. But the poll is a way for me to learn something about okay. my participants. And so that's another really important reason to use it. Okay. And I suppose then you could use that as a springboard for the next part of your, uh, your discussion or your presentation, the results absolutely. of the poll. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah. And then you can say something like, wow, well, it looks like about half of the people in here have never given a virtual presentation before. Uh, mm -hmm. Really interesting. So I would love for you to type in the chat and let me know what's holding you back. Why haven't you given a virtual presentation yet? See, mm -hmm. so, you know, there, there are so many ways that you can use your polls as uh, a discussion point, um, something to learn about your audience, especially like a lot of us deliver presentations to kind of public group. For example, if you're speaking at a, a conference or you're on a panel or something like that, and you don't really know 
who the people are in your audience, this is a great way to learn something about them really quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. And I'm thinking if you were doing that in person, that would take a long time. And given like those standard icebreakers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, asking somebody, I don't know, maybe just the question that you just, uh, that you just posed, you know, how many of you have done this type of training before, or whatever it is to go around the table and get answers from everybody can be quite time consuming. So, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely see, uh, see the benefit uh, of these polls. I've heard so much about them and I, um, yeah, I've always been a little wary myself just simply because I don't think I'll be able to use the technology, but it's very reassuring when you say that zoom makes it really easy. Uh, yes. And yeah. here's a suggestion for you and for everybody listening, just get a couple friends on your platform, a couple colleagues on your platform take a half an hour and, and just say, okay, who can come at two o'clock on Tuesday? Let's do a zoom practice meeting and get on there and play with it and just set up some polls and set up some breakouts and take turns being the host of the meeting so that different people can try different things. Once you play around with it and practice it, and you start to get a sense of how it works, it's not complicated. Um, But let me say one more thing about that. People are very forgiving. So a lot of speakers, uh, for a lot of reasons, both in live and virtual presentations, people who are not, you know, professional speakers get really, really nervous about making a mistake. Mm -hmm. The reality is people are very forgiving. And especially right now, I realize we've been in this, this virtual, this remote speaking environment now almost exclusively for coming up on a year. I mean, 10 months or whatever, but still there's a lot to learn. And there are a lot of tech things that go wrong, even among my colleagues who are professional speakers who know what they're doing and people are forgiving and just, you know, have some humor about it. Oops, that didn't go, you know, that didn't go as I expected. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, the poll's not working. Let me just ask you these questions um, and have you type in the chat. So, you know, try not to get too, uh, wrapped up in all of this technology, keep it simple. And if it doesn't work, move on. Great point. Great point. Uh, but still to have a plan B. I always have a plan B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a part of every kind of presentation. And, you know, again, back in the day, it was what if my PowerPoint projector, you know, burns out or, you know, so it's that kind of thing. I mean, we always have to have a plan B and we always have to plan for technology failing. Right. Right. Yeah. I think just knowing that it's going to happen is very freeing. It's like, okay, well, yeah, it's going to happen. It's It's just a question of what it is. Exactly. It's going to happen this time or next time. I like to use an analogy of, um, I'm, I'm I'm a kind of a sports analogy nerd And um, my husband and I have been watching the Tour de France for decades. Mm. And we, uh, I I look at the athletes in a sport like the Tour de France, where almost everybody is going to crash. Everybody's going to crash. At least there's going to be one of those days where the whole peloton, the whole crowd of cyclists is going to crash. But you don't see these athletes saying, well, I'm just not going to, boy, you know, it'd be great. I got invited to be on this team and ride in the Tour de France, but you know, I'm not going to do it because I might crash. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, you just, you know, don't, don't decide not to speak because you might make a mistake because you Mm -hmm. will Yeah, yeah. (laughs) just go into it knowing that. And then when you, when you get that 
that mistake under your belt and you realize how easy it was to recover and that you survived, then it's much easier every time. Right, right. Oh, I love that. Great, great advice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other ways to get uh, the you know eh, participants, attendees uh, engaged in these virtual training sessions. Well, something that I I like to remind people who have been doing live speaking that if you have already been engaging your audiences live, it's not that hard to translate engagement into virtual. Sadly, there are many, many speakers who don't engage their audiences when they're speaking live. And if that's the case for your listeners, then you have a little bit harder of a hill to climb because you need to learn how to do that anyway. You need to mm -hmm. learn how to engage your audiences live as well. We will go back to live presenting at some point. <laughs> However, if you are already doing things live, like asking questions, telling stories, using handouts or activities or exercises, these things can all be translated to virtual. So um, as a simple example, there's an activity that we do in live presentations where we say, how many people, and I'll just, this is what we were just talking about with polls. How many people have ever given a virtual presentation? If we were doing this, excuse me, if we were doing this in a room, we would ask people to raise their hands. Right. If we're doing it virtually, we might have this as a poll. We might ask people to raise their hands on camera, right? So sh raise your hand on camera. Mm -hmm. We might ask people to click the little raise hand icon, or we might ask people to type in the chat. And if I were going to have people type in the chat, there are a couple ways I would do that. I might just have a yes or no question. Have you given a virtual presentation? And people would type yes or no. Or I might say, how many presentations have you given so far? Is it one to three? Is it four to six? Is it seven to 10? And then I would have them type that into the chat. So all of the things that we do in person can be translated into mm -hmm. the remote environment. It's just a matter of getting creative and really look at, okay, well, what do I normally do in the room? Do I have people do an activity where, so I give a lot of handouts. I do long trainings. I do, you know, two and three day trainings. So mm -hmm. I may have people do a handout. And so that's something I could email to everybody in advance as a PDF and just say, have this handout, have this worksheet in front of you. And then even the worksheet, there might be different ways to do it. I might have everybody do the worksheet individually and then if I'm in a room, I might say, okay, so get into pairs or get into triads and discuss your answers to the worksheet. I might, in a virtual presentation, I might break them up into breakouts and say, take five minutes to discuss this with two other people. Or I may, if it's a small group, I often do trainings of uh, under 20 people. I might just ask people to unmute themselves and discuss it right here on camera. Hmm. So again, you know, really look at the kinds of things that you do live. If you're not doing any engagement or interaction live, then you need to start doing that. Yeah. But if you are doing some things already, um, they're pretty easy to translate into virtual. 
Yeah, that's like, that's really good to know. And I think what's interesting, and as you're talking, I thought, you know, this is something I hadn't thought of at all. But yeah, it really forces you to analyze how you have been presenting and to make tweaks to adapt to the virtual environment. But really, it highlights maybe some of the things you could have been doing more effectively in your live presentations. <laughs> you know, what's really funny is that right before California went into lockdown, I had written uh, I had written an article about how your virtual presentations can help your live presentations. The more you when you go into virtual, you suddenly discover, oh wow, you know I could really apply these to live presentations. And I had decided right uh, right around the the first week of March, the last time I gave a live pres an in person presentation, I thought, you know what, I should revise some of my materials on virtual presentations because people are going to need to know this. This was this was ten days before California went into lockdown. Wow. I decided that I should start revising my materials on giving you know webinars basically. And I turned it into a training on virtual presentations called Go Virtual. And within three days, I was being asked to deliver that training. And wow. so I really had to, I had to start looking at that myself, even though I had been doing virtual training and virtual presentations for actually for years. I realized I had to do that work as well. And I had to really look at it and go, how does virtual relate to in-person? And there's a lot that we do that's the same, but you just have to do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so it was a good exercise for me to figure this out as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so, uh, so interesting. Uh, I'm also thinking about um, the uh, times where we're doing presentations at a conference and that's still happening. And mm -hmm. you talked a little bit about those micro presentations. And I think those are the kinds of situations where a lot of us lawyers tend to fall back on the lecture style, just yeah. standing at the podium and, and, you know, talking and from notes. And sometimes we have slides. I just wanted to talk a little bit about adapting that type of presentation to the a virtual environment, how to make that more engaging. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of collaboration. So when I talk about creating a great experience for your audience, what that means is that you don't consider your audience to be a blank slate. You don't look at your audience as empty vessels that you are going to pour all of your wisdom into. Okay. That's how a lot of speakers look at audiences. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to pour all my wisdom into you as though you know nothing. So for me, the collaboration aspect of a presentation means that you invite your audience to share their lifetime of skills and knowledge. And that by them sharing, not only do other audience members learn, but you learn as well. Every time you invite your audience to engage with you and to share their lifetime of knowledge and skills, you learn. So as a speaker, if you go into a speaking engagement, assuming you're the smartest person in the room and that you know more than everybody in the room, you're going to at, at best bore your audience. At worst, you're going to insult them. Right. So even when you're doing a sort of a one-way type of presentation, 
there are still ways to engage them through, even if, even if you're using, um, I mean, I'm always a fan of asking questions. Like I said, ask mm-hmm. questions, have people type something into the chat. Um, I'm also, you know, if, if the only thing you can do is ask a rhetorical question, mm-hmm. <laughs> then do that. Um, but I don't see that there's really any excuse for the talking head kind of presentation. Mm-hmm. If there ever was, uh, we we go back to these famous orators. When we look at at well-known famous speakers and orators, they're all very much this one-way type of, you know, Lincoln or Martin Luther King. You know, they're speaking to a huge audience meant to inspire. Now, if you're say a keynote speaker, and you are meant to inspire your audience and motivate them to do something and take some big action, then you might be okay doing the talking head kind of presentation. But I'll tell you, even in my industry, keynoters are being asked to engage. They're being asked to interact. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go back to this, the talking head thing. Um, It's not as effective as engaging or interacting. Um, that being said, one of the things we have talked about, um, you and I, is the kind of you know, scripted, memorized presentation that sometimes you will be asked to give where you're not even allowed to have interaction. I, I have a client, I'll just give you this example, a client who teaches uh, nurse practitioners to prepare for their exams, their licensing exams. And it's a small group, 20 people, but it's two days of really, really solid content with then some sort of, uh, you know, practical questions and sort of testing. And um, she went into this for the first time and discovered no cameras, no cameras and no audio. And so she literally had to talk to herself for two days straight. Wow. With no interaction. (laughs) And after we found out, I said, okay, yeah, you're not, you're not going to do that again. Next time you tell them that you need to be able to interact with your, with your audience. There were only 20 people in the room. It wasn't like there were a thousand people and interaction would be impossible. But in this kind of a case, you can use a script and, um, scripting is fine and using some kind of notes is fine and actually much easier to do when you're remote because people really can't, you know, they can't, you're not holding notes in your hand on a stage. You can very easily put your notes on another screen or print them out and put them on a little document stand next to you and have your notes right there. So um, it's much easier to use notes with remote. And if you have to give one of these kinds of presentations, I still recommend that you practice your notes so that they still come across as sounding natural. Most of us um, who are not, you know, paid actors, we're not really good at memorizing. Most speakers are not good at memorizing unless it's their job. And um, if you're a lawyer, it's probably not your job to memorize speeches (laughs) because you're not a professional speaker. So I generally suggest using notes and not scripting them out word for word. Because again, even if you script them out word for word, most people are not really good at reading from scripts unless they 
spend a lot of time practicing. So save yourself some time, use bulleted notes and practice. And this is the one thing that people always, I don't have time to practice. Well, if you don't have time to practice, then stop giving presentations because (laughs) you are not doing your audience any good. You're not doing them a service and you're certainly not giving them a great experience if you haven't practiced and you sound like a robot. Mm -hmm. Such a good point. And I'm thinking too, would slides then be useful to have behind you if you're giving that type of a presentation? And if so, you know, any sort of best practices for preparing slides, using slides? Absolutely. And people are not going to like my answer to this either. Um, Because one of the things that we've learned over the years is that slides that are loaded with bullet points are not as effective as image-based slides that have just one simple idea on them. So these days, best practices for slides are really about giving one idea per slide, one idea per slide. And then you discuss that idea. But what happens when you use a lot of bullets on your slides is that people are reading ahead. When you have a lot of content on your slides, people are reading ahead. We are visual creatures. And if anybody remembers, you know, being five years old and sitting at the, maybe not five, because you don't really know how to read yet, maybe eight years old, sitting at the breakfast table, reading every single word on the cereal box. (laughs) This is what we do. When there's something to read, we're going to read it. When there's something to look at, we're going to look at it. So putting a lot of content on your slides is just giving your audience more reasons for distraction. And I I have a quick example for you. I was in a a, a class a few years back. I was having really bad insomnia. So I went to a sleep disorders class at my health clinic and the, the instructor had a lot of bullets on her slides and she put up a slide that had six different sleep disorders. And there was like narcolepsy and sleep apnea and all these different things. And the sixth bullet on the slide was parasomnias. And she started talking about sleep disorders. And I kid you not, somebody raised their hand. The instructor called on her and she said, what's parasomnias? Mm-hmm. Bullet number six, the instructor hadn't even finished bullet number two. And people in your audience may not be raising their hand and asking you these questions, but they're thinking them and they're distracted. So when we stick with one idea per slide, there is literally nowhere for your audience to go. They can't move ahead and start start, uh, thinking about something else. So I always recommend an image-based slide with an image that illustrates your point uh, a simple idea on the slide of a sentence and, um, and, you know, make sure that your audience, you know, can fully grasp what your idea is before you move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they're going to pay attention to what you're saying in real time and yeah, not be looking ahead and think, oh, you know, I want to make sure we get to this point and not really paying attention to what you're saying. Absolutely. And it's not even that so much. Sometimes the distraction is a negative in the sense that, somebody looks ahead and sees you're going to be talking about this and they have an argument or a challenge mm-hmm. or, you know, or something like that. And so they're already thinking about how they disagree with you. I mean, right. there are just far too many ways for people to be distracted by reading ahead like that. And um, this way you really keep everybody on the same page at mm-hmm. the same time. 
Yeah, that makes such good sense. Yeah, I love the idea of images as well. Um, yeah, and that reminds me too of sort of what's similar to screen sharing. When, you know, any suggestions of how to help us decide when to share our screen and, you know, what types of things we should be sharing? Yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to screen share, obviously your slides would be one thing that you would screen share. So that's how I, you know, all my trainings, I share my screen and show my slides from my desktop. That is actually technologically the easiest way to use slides uh, in a remote presentation. And the other thing is if you're going to show people how to do something. So if you're going to show them how to fill out a form, or if you're going to go into a document like a, an Excel spreadsheet and you need to show some details, uh, or you're going to show them something online, those are all reasons that you would screen share. And I just, again, I want to go back to preparation and practice. You need to make sure that you know how to screen share that you've already tried it, that you've practiced it, and that you know what you're doing once you get into this document or whatever this thing is that you're gonna show or thing that you're gonna highlight. Because I've seen this happen as well, where people, it's kind of like how, how people stand up at the microphone and they go, is this thing on? Right. <laughs> just, just practice it first practice again get with some of your colleagues get with a couple of your you know your coworkers and plan a 30 minute little thing where everybody practices sharing their screen and everybody practices going into a document and typing things or doing whatever they need to do in the document and then getting out of the screen share sometimes so in zoom sometimes what happens after I screen share, I have, uh, my screen has changed. Let's just put it that way. My mm. screen has changed. <laughs> so my, my, uh, my gallery view in Zoom maybe has moved itself or resized itself or my chat has disappeared. Um, these things happen when you screen share. After I screen shared um, just a couple of weeks ago, I had um, everything that was on my screen, like the chat box and the gallery window, covered up my slides as a black box. Wow. So that was a whole new thing that had never happened before. <laughs> um, so, and people were telling me, I can't see your screen, there's a big black box. And we finally figured out, oh, it's the chat box for some reason turned into a black box covering my slides. <laughs> so you must practice. You must test out your equipment, test out your technology. It doesn't take long. And even when you practice, things can still go wrong, right? Let's go back to that. Something is going to go wrong. <laughs> but if you have practiced, you're going to be more confident going into it and knowing, okay, well, something might go wrong. So after I do screen share, uh, I notice that the boxes on my, my uh, screen rearrange themselves. Okay. So I'm prepared for that. And I will put everything back where it needs to go. Right. So it's always a matter of practice and, and preparation. Yeah, yeah. Makes really good sense. 
uh, yeah, I'd want to go back to the idea of micro presentations because, um, you know, we've had a number of large uh, lawyers conferences where they have had very short presentations and a lot yeah. of them back to back to back. And just wondering, in my mind, it just seems so incredibly daunting. Uh, and I imagine that they come with their own unique challenges. I'm wondering if you can just walk us through some of those and just sort of help us to prepare for those micro presentations, which are becoming more and more popular. Yeah, I, uh, I actually decided to do this kind of training because I have a client who kept um, being invited and is still being invited to be one speaker of 10 in an hour. And, and she's a tech speaker. She's, she's speaking on technology. And so even, even a tech speaker having to, and then what happens is the first person goes long and then everybody else get, everybody else gets their time shortened. So she's told she's giving a six minute presentation, but pretty soon after three people have gone long, now her presentation is three minutes. So these are the kinds of, the kinds of things that you have to prepare for. Um, but in, in micro presentations, you, you literally have to prepare for seconds for every second of your presentation. So again, this means you must practice it. And what I always tell people is if you're giving a five minute presentation, practice it up to about four and a half minutes. So for example, if you're giving an hour long presentation, don't ever practice it all the way to an hour because you'll probably get go over. You'll get interrupted, you'll start late, whatever it is. So practice up to about 50 minutes. And then if people actually get to leave five minutes early, they're excited, you know, they're mm -hmm. happy. But if you go five minutes or 10 minutes over and you cut into their break, they're not so happy about that. So right. for a five minute presentation, that may mean that you have a 30 second opening, a 30 second closing, and three minutes for your main points, one minute for each main point. So I suggest people break it down into what your points are and your openings and closings. And then I give three, in my micro presentations training, I talk about three things in particular, cutting the fat, the flat and the fluff. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's just the way I came up with a way to, to you know, remind people of these things. But the fat is anything that's extraneous that might be really juicy, but doesn't fit. So it might be things that take a long time when you do them live, like, you know, longer stories or activities or content that's really great, but that takes you five minutes when you do it live. And that would be your whole presentation. That's the fat. The flat is the things that are boring and don't really add any value, like talking about your, your life history and all your credentials and giving a whole bunch of statistics that nobody cares about. So that's the flat. And then the fluff is things that could be entertaining and that are fun, that if you do an hour long presentation, something like that might be you know, a little bit fun and engaging, but that will waste precious seconds. So the fat, the flat, and the fluff are the three main things that I recommend cutting out of your presentations when you have to speak in you know, five or 10 minutes. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And what about scripting in those cases or, mm. I mean, yeah, I wonder if, if you would memorize more or try to be off your notes more or less. 
again, it depends on your level of skill. So I just, I just led my micro presentations mini retreat where I had four people just creating and delivering five minute presentations. A couple of them were really, really good on script and you couldn't tell they were scripted. They just sounded very flowing and very natural because they were very comfortable being able to read ahead. The whole point of when you read a script is that you have to be able to look ahead at what's coming and then say those words with your eyes looking at the camera. Right. So it's, it's a trick, you know, reading from a script is a trick. Um, the other people did better when they had bullet points and could kind of flow from one idea to the next, but knew exactly what they were going to say about that idea. It is a little bit easier to memorize when you only have five minutes. Um, but you still have to practice a lot. So again, um, in, a, in a micro presentation, you may be much more inclined to use a script, which makes a lot of sense because you don't have seconds to waste. In an hour long presentation, we can go off on a tangent and then go, oops, I just wasted three minutes on that. Oh, well. And you can, you know, you can keep going without creating too much drama in a five minute presentation, you really don't have seconds to waste. So scripting can work really, really well if you practice and if you're good at reading ahead. If you, you know, reading from a script um, still requires you to look into the camera. It still requires you to make eye contact with your audience because we give live presentations for a reason. If you're not if there's not a reason for you to be giving this presentation live, you can just type out a document and email it to everybody, right? Right. We give live presentations because we need to make an emotional connection. We're trying to persuade. We're trying to get people to do something. We're trying to get them to change behavior or attitudes as a result of our presentation. So, or, or, or just get people to do something, right? My client who gives um, te these tech presentations, she's trying to get people to fill out documents that, that have to do with the technology. She's just trying to get people to take an action. But if you're not engaging them, you're not persuading them, you're not making an emotional connection, you're not gonna get them to do the thing that you want them to do. So you still need to make that eye contact. You still need to use those slides that are engaging emotionally with images or whatever it is. But having a script can definitely help you in a micro presentation, as long as you practice it and you know, and you know what's coming and you're prepared for the words that are coming ahead so that you're not looking down at your script the whole time. Right. Right. And what about in general, when you don't have that visual connection uh, with the audience, how do you keep yourself energized and engaged? And okay, yeah, I just, the, the example of your client who was doing a two-day training session without any of that, like, how, how, do you, how do you manage? Because I think we play off, and when we're giving a presentation live, we play play off the energy, or we, you know, take in the energy from the live audience, and that really helps, you know, energize us. So how yep. do we how, how how do we get that in this new environment? Yeah, it is it is hard. Uh, virtual presenting definitely lacks that immediacy. It lacks that instant gratification that we get 
from an audience. And so I try to remind people that even though you can't see them, so you're not seeing them laugh or you're not hearing them laugh or you're not seeing them smile or they're not going, you know, at something shocking or whatever, it doesn't mean they're not receiving your energy um, or your message. And so I mean, really the first thing about that is to trust that if you bring your energy 100% and you imagine that, you know, you're looking into the camera at a real person who's sitting there on the other side that wants to engage and connect with you, if you trust that you're bringing everything you can to the presentation, you will be reaching them. Um, However, there is a reality that when we present virtually, even when we do have people on camera, everything is delayed. The time it takes for people to respond is is off, right? Um, Sometimes, you know, somebody's talking and then they realize they're muted or they hear your funny line and they laugh, but they laugh, you know, five seconds later than you expect them to, Um, waiting for people to type stuff into the chat can be ag- can be you know so aggravating right because you're like ah come on hurry up somebody do something <laughs> so we have to rem- we have to remember that people are receiving value and that they are feeding off of your energy but i really i i always ask people two questions when they when they talk about this sort of anxiety they feel about not having that not being able to feed off that energy so the first question is are you concerned that the audience isn't receiving value? And if that's true, if that's your concern, that because you can't see and hear them, you're not sure if they're actually receiving value, if they're not actually engaged, then I just, again, suggest that you continue to work on your engagement skills. You continue to work on this and trust that when you bring the energy and you bring the content and you bring the engagement, that they will receive value? That is the first question. The second question is, are you just uncomfortable with a lack of instant gratification? Mm -hmm. Are you just uncomfortable not seeing people smile and laugh at your content? In which case it's really not about your audience and it's not about you serving the audience. In this case, it's about you. And I'm going to recommend that you kind of pull that back and remind yourself that it is about serving your audience and that when you present, it's about providing an experience for your audience and getting them to take some sort of action, right? Generally, when we're presenting, we want our audience to take some sort of action, So kind of reel that back in the thing about it being about you and I'm uncomfortable because I'm not getting, you know, this energy and this feedback, reel it in and turn it back around about serving your audience and creating a great experience. Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent. What a wonderful note to, to end on. I think that that, uh, yeah, really captures so much. And just wanted to thank you so much for your wonderful uh, advice and tips and wondering if there's anything that we didn't get to that you thought might be helpful to pass on to listeners. You know, I think that the most, the most important thing I want people to know besides what I just said, <laughs> because I think <laughs> adjusting your expectations of, of presenting is, is really uh, an important key to being comfortable doing remote 
uh, presenting, that you adjust the expectations that you have of it. It's going to be different and you have to be okay with that. But I think there's another issue and that is people are feeling like they have to have all the best and most expensive technology. And so I just want to remind people that it is not, you do not need to have a fancy TV studio in your office. And I see a lot of people feeling very intimidated in my, in the groups that I'm in around remote speaking, they feel so intimidated um, that they don't have all the best and fanciest equipment and the switchers and the, uh, you know, all these things. And really what you need, you need clear audio with a wired microphone. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your microphone should be plugged in that is going to guarantee your best, um, your best sound. And also will guarantee that you don't get cut off because of some kind of Wi-Fi problem, right? Your microphone is really important. Even if your, your, your picture isn't that great. If your screen isn't that great, if people can't see you that well, if it's kind of dark or fuzzy, people will forgive that. But if they can't hear you, they will tune out. So make sure you have a decent mic, but decent microphones don't even cost a ton of money and make sure that you have decent lighting that's, that's hitting you from the front and to off to the sides a little bit at an angle so that you're not sitting in the dark with like a window behind you. Right. Um, so having, you know, having decent lighting, having decent audio are basically what you need to think about. <laughs> And just don't, you don't need expensive technology. People only expect that of you if you are, again, uh, some highly paid professional speaker. And a lot of those people that I know have gotten fancy studios. You don't need that. Very reassuring. <laughs> Very reassuring. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent. Excellent tips. Um, yeah. Just wondering, Lisa, where listeners can learn more about you. Well, I would love people to go to my website. So my website is coachlisab.com and that's easy. And when you go to my website, you'll find all of the ways to connect with me there. I love connecting on LinkedIn and I'm Lisa Braithwaite on LinkedIn, easy enough. And um, if you do go to my website, I have a free gift that I offer. It's my Speak to Engage presentation scorecard so that you can actually watch your own videos back and score yourself on your various presenting skills. And there's, uh, there's one that includes virtual as well. There's one just for live presenting and there's one that includes virtual <laughs> because Terrific. these days we're also using green screens and technology and whatnot. And, um, and then if you connect with me through my email list by downloading the scorecard or um, on LinkedIn or Facebook, then you will also uh, be able to find out when I'm doing my next training on micro presentations. And I have one coming up very soon. So anybody who needs to figure out how to take your, your lengthier presentations and make them fit into a teeny tiny container, then stay connected with me and you'll, you'll get more information on that. Fantastic. Wow. Well, I can't wait. I think I'm going to go download that free resource right after we finish our conversation. Awesome. Because uh, I think that would be super, super helpful to see. Yeah, just to get a sense of how we look from the audience's perspective. Yep. Uh, yeah, what a great idea. Well, Lisa, thank you so, so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge and your wonderful advice with us. I really, really appreciate it. 
Thank you, Shelly. Thanks for joining me today on the Excel Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.